The increasingly new science of genetic testing has potentially profound effects on not only the individual child, but the entire family system. Welcome to a special series on children's health. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Susan McDaniel, professor of psychiatry and family medicine at the University of Rochester School of Medicine. She is nationally and internationally known for her publications on families and health, and her most recent book is Individuals, Families, and the New Era of Genetics. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, Leslie. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, Dr. McDaniel, how did you become interested in this work? Well, uh, I had a colleague who actually I didn't know, a geneticist named Peter Rowley, who was doing one of the early studies on women with the breast cancer genetic mutations. And he found that after finishing his study, some of the women who tested negative, in fact, a large proportion, were still calling him a year later, calling him or the genetic counselor that worked with him. And so he actually came and knocked on my door one day. I opened the door, and there was a kind of roughly-looking academic physician, who was Peter, saying, I have these participants in my study that are still calling me, and I wonder if you could figure something out for them. Mm -hmm. And so being a family therapist, uh, I was very interested in this area immediately. And the women that I worked with in those early years really taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. One of the first things, I think, to talk about is exactly what a family is. Well, I think there's many different definitions of family. It depends on what the purpose is. I think from a, a family psychologist's point of view, the family is whoever the person defines their family to be, whoever's relevant emotionally legally, biologically. From a genetic perspective, obviously, family becomes very important in terms of the biological connection and the genetic connection. But non-biological family members also are very affected by genetic disorders and genetic testing because they're the people that help support their family members and they have their own emotional response to this. So let's talk about some of the principles of family organization and functioning relative to the work you do. How can we begin to make sense of the complexities of family interaction? Well, certainly the opportunity now, since the genetic code was cracked, to be able to understand some about our genetic vulnerabilities really stimulates a lot of family communication in a way that it never did before. So uh, suddenly, whether people keep secrets or not, the boundaries around people, how fluid they are, whether the siblings get along well, whether parents get along well, uh, how adaptable or flexible families are versus rigid, whether they communicate a lot or a little, whether the roles are different in families for men and women, all of that then starts to play an important role when a family faces a decision about genetic testing. Do you find that when a decision is looming like this, I would think you've kind of had one of two options, that families that may be pretty sick and dysfunctional may pull it together and, you know, really kind of pull together for the sake of the team and and behave in a better way than they're used to with each other, or it would be a complete disaster and what, what is unhealthy becomes even more dysfunctional under pressure. That's right. I think like with any challenge in life, although genetic testing is novel, families 
can either come together and have new opportunities to grow or to heal, or they can really have a hard time of it and things can get worse. So I think that some families communicate a lot with each other and some families communicate very little. It's just a family style and that gets acted out in the genetic testing situation. One of the early families that I worked with was uh, 37 members who came together with their geneticist, their genetic counselor, and myself to hear about the colorectal genetic mutation that they had in their family and to begin to talk about who wanted to be tested, who didn't, how old they thought they should be, whether they would tell each other about the test results or not. And that's quite different than, for example, a young woman that I knew in my breast cancer mutation support group who really just told her husband and wanted to spend a year getting used to the idea that she was mutation positive. And in the meantime, her cousin developed breast cancer at a young age and was quite upset with her when she found out she had the mutation and hadn't communicated this because she had the probable fantasy that perhaps it would something preventative could have been done. Now, Dr. McDaniel, let, let's talk about how families do handle disclosure when, say, one person tests positive, and that, of course, may have implications for their siblings' risk and, and other family members. So as we were talking before, Leslie, families have very different communication styles. Some are quite open, and some just characteristically keep things more to themselves. And that plays a role in disclosure. Ideally, families come together ahead of time and talk perhaps by themselves, but also with their health professionals and with behavioral health professionals like myself about how they want to handle disclosure. Do they want to ask each other about it? How long do they want before they tell each other? And how do they want to tell each other? We obviously encourage people to talk with each other and be honest. It can cause real problems. I know of one situation where a father and his daughters were being tested for colorectal cancer mutation. And after the father tested positive, he actually told his daughters that he tested negative, I think because he wanted to protect them and he didn't want them to be upset. But that immediately meant that the daughters thought that they then didn't need to be tested and they weren't at high risk. But, of course, his testing positive implicated them. So it can be a real problem when the information isn't honestly shared. Do you see any patterns in terms of of gender with these sorts of issues? I think that this isn't all women, but certainly a lot of women are the caregivers in their family. And if they're the people to carry the genetic mutation, sometimes that can cause concern by them and by their families. If they're going to become the patient rather than the caregiver, it can disrupt family functioning. And also, I think all people, male or female, the biggest issue is transmitting the genetic mutation to their children and whether this has happened. And I think that's the hardest part of all of this. Mm -hmm. In truth, we all have genetic mutation. It's just that some of us know what they are and some of us don't. And we all transmit them to our children if we have biological children. So... It's just that there are now some illnesses and some uh, vulnerabilities that we can test for. What age uh, is it appropriate to involve the children in these discussions? To involve them in discussions or to be tested? In discussions. I think that probably really depends on the maturity of the child 
and the extent of illness in the family. In some families, there's so much of the illness that talking to them about it when they're beginning to take biology in school probably makes some sense because it's not a big secret that uh, so many people have had cancer in this particular family, for example. I think it really depends on the maturity of the child, the curiosity of the child, and the questions they're asking. But I expect a lot of this is in at least high school science textbooks now, Mm -hmm. and children will be asking questions. In terms of the testing age, I think most health professionals feel that children should be of age to consent, at least 18, if not 21, before they're tested, unless they're symptomatic and testing is going to yield some difference in the way they're treated. Now, is is there any way we can help to minimize the blame that I'm sure would go on in these sorts of family systems? I think that's something as a culture that we, the technology is ahead of our psychosocial and ethical understanding of these issues. And I think we all have to come together and begin to support each other in the idea that, you know, we all have these mutations. We need to be able to decide whether we want to know about them or not. And that means that we have to help families understand what they have control over and what they don't. And certainly none of us have control over what genetic mutations we might have received as being part of a family. Is it reasonable to do a psychological evaluation on some of these people even before they get tested? I, you know, I would think people that that were fragile, either with anxiety disorders or depression, perhaps suicidal, that that a positive test could really throw them into a severe illness. Well, I have two thoughts about that. One is I really think that behavioral health professionals, psychiatrists, psychologists, and master's level people who have a special interest in training in dealing with physical illness really should be folded into these teams, just as Peter Rowley folded me into the team. So it wasn't that this family with 37 members who are facing a decision about uh, testing for the colorectal mutation had to decide if they had to go see a shrink too, but rather I was part of the team and I just participated along with everybody else. And so I think that really helps. I think facing these issues really can Uh, Anybody, no matter whether they're fragile or not, can use the help of a behavioral health professional when facing this kind of thing. So that's one answer. Then there are the people who have faced trauma or have had uh, mental health problems before or in some ways are particularly vulnerable. And those people, I think, definitely should have extended psychological evaluation and support as they face these decisions. And I've certainly seen some of those people in my practice. Some of them have been people who are well-adjusted who just want added support going through what they imagine is going to be a difficult process. And other people are people who have had previous problems and really want to be careful about the choices they're making now. Now, of course, uh, as you know, this is Children's Health Month on ReachMD. Any particular things to think about when children are involved in these family systems? Well, I think that it is important to include children and to listen to children who frequently, as we all know, know a whole lot more than we might give them credit. Right. Um, And that helping them understand this is something 
our family copes with. You know, our friends, the Browns, their family has diabetes in their family. Well, our family has Alzheimer's or our family has cardiac disease or whatever. And that means that as a family, we're going to work particularly hard to eat well, to exercise well, to take care of ourselves uh, because this is our particular vulnerability. So I do think it can help families and children develop healthier lifestyles because they have an understanding about their genetic um, makeup. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Susan McDaniel. We have been discussing psychosocial interventions for families facing genetic risk. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.